Do you want the next best thing after The Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia? The books, not the movies. You are listening to Reading and Readers, not Watching and Watchers. Are you a concerned Christian who asks whether fantasy books is okay for Christians? Listen to today's book review. Hi, I'm Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Every month, I review Faith Life's free book of the month, and while waiting for the next free book, I pick a book that tickles my fancy. And today, I review The Wing Feathers Saga, a four-book children's fantasy series written by Peter Anderson. Sorry, I meant Andrew Peterson. Peterson likes to mix things up in his stories and his career. He could have chosen a non-diplume, a pen name, but instead he prefers to answer the same question everywhere he goes. Are you Andrew Peterson, the songwriter and musician? Yes, I am, he answers in his website, Amazon page and his books. Peterson, the award-winning author, songwriter, and I have one thing in common. We both grew up reading Dragonlance's Outsider, Tannis Half-Elven, Forgotten Realms, Lonely uh, Driss Dorden, Belgariot's Orphan Garion, and many more tales of lonely boys in fantasy adventures. In his autobiography, Adorning the Dark, Peterson reflects on his conversion from a fantasy world escapist into a born-again Christian. I quote, But that morning when I was 19 on the hillside in East Tennessee, things were different. Life itself, the one I was actually living, for once outshone the life I had yearned for. The maker of this beautiful broken world ambushed me. He had lain in wait for the perfect moment to spring. The perfect song at the perfect hour of the day. The contrition of my hungry heart. The intricate staging of the beauty that had led me to that dewy lawn. And his holy brooding spirit draped over the valley like a mist. Drink, he told me, and thirst no more. Later, Peterson writes, So I abandoned fantasy. I had no need for it, so I thought, because the world I was in pulsed with loveliness. Now I'm zipping and picking bits from Peterson's autobiography to show you the writer's journey from fantasy and back again. Sometime afterwards, he rereads the Chronicles of Narnia, and something magical happens. I quote, The reintroduction of fairy tales to my redeemed imagination helped me to see the maker, his word, and the abounding human, but sometimes spirit-commandeered tales as interconnected. Later, after reading Tolkien, Peterson writes, But whether it was because of my own awakening to the beauty of life through the saving truth of the gospel, or because of Tolkien's own faith and attentiveness to the Holy Spirit while writing The Lord of the Rings, when his story ended the world around when his story ended, the world around me held more possibility, not less. It was brighter, not duller. My eyes were clearer, not dimmer. Tolkien and Louise, both in their own way, lifted me out of this world to show me a thundering beauty. And when I read the last sentence and came tumbling back to earth, I could still hear the peal. I hear it to this day. End quote. 
As for his uh, earlier uh, interest in uh, fantasy books, he, he rereads them as a Christian and he writes, A few years ago, I dug out a few of the fantasy novels I loved and found them mostly empty. Not only have my tastes changed, the quality of the writing left something to be desired, but they strike me as a way to pass the time rather than enrich it. End quote. The writer of the Wing Feather saga is not a recovering fantasy nerd. He is a redeemed fantasy nerd. A recovering fantasy nerd, like a recovering alcoholic, struggles with wanting what he is not supposed to want. A redeemed fantasy nerd sees, through gospel lens, the story of another world. And in the reflection of that world, this world, the one we live in, becomes brighter, not duller. Our eyes become clearer, not dim. Peterson, our redeemed fantasy nerd, draws us into the world of the Winged Feather Saga, a world with swords, dragons, fantastical creatures, and above them all, the great divine, the maker. This is my spoiler-free review of the Winged Feather Saga. Uh, by that, I mean that this review covers the same material that you can see in the 15-minute animated short which itself is a teaser for the eventual full series. And I'll tell you more about that later. The first book is titled On the Edge of the Sea of Darkness, followed by North or Be Eaten. Then the next book is The Monster in the Hollows. And the last book is The Warden and the Wolf King. The first book was first published in 2008. And in 2020, all the books were re-released in a special edition hardcover. I bought the hardcovers instead of the cheaper Kindle versions because I wanted a birthday gift that my son can hold and years later smile when he sees them on his shelf and remembers Jana Igibi. Jana Igibi is a 12-year-old boy who wants to sell the world, but he can't. He is stuck in his backward village called Glipwood. He can't go out to see the world, so he enjoys the next best thing, being there when the world comes to him the Dragon Day Festival. And today, it's a special Dragon Day Festival because for once, he is allowed to go to town to see the festival, to see all the world coming down to his small village, the games, the food, the songs and all. And he's allowed to go to town without adult supervision. But on one condition, Jana has to keep a watchful eye over his brother, Tink, and sister, Lily. Tink is 10 years old. He is a Tink by name, but not a Tinker by nature. Impulsive, he drags Janna into tunnels and what not to explore. And Janna tells himself he is just looking out for Tink, but secretly he enjoys every bit of the adventure. Now, Lily is a sweet 8-year-old girl who loves dogs. Footnote. Notice that Lily is 8 and Janna is 12 which coincidentally is the reading age of this book, 8 to 12 years old. It's as if the writer intentionally planned for his readers to relate to the characters. And footnote. So Lily loves dogs. Jana loves Lily. What will Jana do when Lily stands between her dog and a fang of dang? Fang of dang? By way of explanation, let me read from Peterson's Introduction to the Land of Scree. I quote, In the nine years after Scree's king and all his lords, in fact, everyone with a claim to the throne, 
had been executed, the people of Scree had learned to survive under the occupation of the fangs of Dang. The fangs walked about like humans, and in fact, they looked exactly like humans, except for the greenish scales that covered their bodies and the lizard-like snout and the two long venomous fangs that jutted downward from their snarling mouths. Also, they had tails. Since Nag the Nameless had conquered the free lands of Scree, the fangs had occupied all the towns, exacting taxes and being nasty to the free Screeans. Oh yes, the people of Scree were quite free, as long as they were in their homes by midnight, and as long as they bore no weapons. And they didn't complain when their fellow Screeans were occasionally taken away across the sea, never to be seen again. But other than the cruel fangs and the constant threat of death and torture, there wasn't much to fear in Scree. End quote. Do you know what this reminds me of? Terry Pratchett's Discworld. It has that uh, we are all in uh, on the joke. Uh, let's laugh together with uh, with this uh, part of the humor. Uh, it's, it's very self-referencing in that humor. And just like the Discworld novels, the footnotes in Wing Feather resent being footnotes. The footnotes intrude, in a good way, into the narrative and uh, tell of a bigger world out there. How I wish I could tell you more that there isn't, but there, there isn't enough space and I'm only a footnote. While I see traces of Pratchett-like humour, Peterson claims a more honourable lineage, The Princess Bride by William Goldman. This is probably a good idea because a comparison with the pagan Discworld might ruffle a few Christian feathers who already find this inconceivable a Christian-friendly fantasy world that doesn't start with the letter M or N. Now that we have decisively asserted that you would enjoy the witty Princess Brightsian humour, there is more to this book. There is an epic story. Coming back to our epic story, Jaina goes to the Dragon Day Festival. He has one job. One job. And he failed. He failed his mother and his grandfather. Having failed to look after his siblings, he ran away from home, just like the orphan farm boy in Bulgaria, to live a lonely life like Driz, always caught between two worlds like Tannis Half-Elven. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do any of those things, unlike most of the fancy, fantasy novels that we read. There is no running away from home in this book, or I suppose you, I could say, there is running away, but the home ran away with you together. The solution to trouble is not to run away alone, but to bring it to the family, because nothing is stronger than family. And life would have turned back to normal. The mother Nia would bake maggot loaf for the fangs of Dang. The children would go to sleep at night, hoping the black carriage does not come for them. And all would be normal, except the jewels of Anira appeared. Jana's brother, Tink, discovers a map that shows the location of the jewels of Anira. These are the jewels sought after by Nag the Nameless. Nag the Nameless sent an army of fangs across the Sea of Darkness to conquer Skree, but Skree itself was not the main goal. He conquered a nation just to find the jewels. As you and I know, precious jewels or jewelry are a precursor to adventure. Frodo's ring, the infinity gems. That's why wedding couples exchange rings, 
It's a symbol of the great adventure ahead of them. At the hint of the jewel's presence, the evil powers strike for sleepy town Glipwood. And so Jenna runs away with his brother Tink, the one who doesn't think, and his sister Lily and her dog, and their mother Nia, and their grandfather Podo. Jenna ran away from home, and the Rome ran away with him. Parents, I want to warn you that this is a deeply subversive story you have here. Your children will think they are reading a story of boys and girls fighting against dragons and monsters. They don't know that they will be reading a story about family, taking care of siblings, respecting elders, and most of all, doing your homework. When the children are not fighting fangs, or running away from giant roaches, or hiding from toothy cows. Footnote, Wingfeather is known to induce moophobia, a fear of the sound of cows in readers. The scariest sound in the Wingfeather series is moo. You have been warned. And footnote, when the children are not fighting, running or hiding, they are doing their homework. They don't want to do their homework, but this is what happens when your running away from evil is chaperoned by your mom and grandpa. Their mother insists that they do their tags, T-H-A-G-S. Footnote, T-H-A-G-S stands for Three Honoured and Great Subjects, Word, Form and Song. Some silly people believe that there is a fourth honoured and great subject, but those mathematicians are woefully mistaken. End footnote. Peterson strongly believes in the power of story, and he is not afraid to put that belief in his stories. The Peterson principle of fantasy storytelling is it should make this world, the one we live in, brighter, not duller, and our eyes clearer, not dimmer. Your kids will never admit it, but Wingfeather helps readers to see the family clearer, not dimmer, and hopefully, homework brighter, not duller. Aside from the inconceivably clean humour and family-friendly message that oozes from every page, there is a bigger reason, the biggest reason really, for you to get a Wingfeather saga for your children and for you yourself. Before I get to that reason, I need to address the dragon in the room. Many Christians are suspicious of fantasy literature, despite the progenitors of modern fantasy genre, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis being Christians. The worlds of Terry Pratchett's Discworld, George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones, Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, Warhammer are pagan or godless worlds. If divinity is mentioned, the gods are more like Greek, Roman, Norse or Egyptian gods, gods who worship their stomachs. They are comic book gods, and by that I don't just mean that they are one-dimensional, laughable reductions of what it means to be divine. I also mean that they are in comic books, they are in popular culture, they are in your cinemas and streaming services. Thor is the god of thunder. Wonder Woman is the daughter of the gods of Olympus. Avengers and Superman are god-like men. With gods on the screen, haven't you wondered how many pastors get the question, can a Christian watch Marvel movies? Or is it okay if I just don't watch the ones with Thor, the god of thunder? In answer to that question, I want to introduce you to Lit, a Christian guide to reading books by Tony Reinke. In his book, Reinke quotes Calvin, all truth is from God, 
And consequently, if wicked men have said anything that is true and just, we ought not to reject it, for it has come from God. Besides, all things are of God, and therefore why should it not be lawful to dedicate to His glory everything that can properly be employed for such a purpose? End quote. Reinker follows up with this. Calvin understands what we discovered in the last chapter. A cohesive biblical worldview makes it possible for us to perceive and cherish the truth we read in non-Christian books. And here, Reinker lists seven benefits of reading non-Christian books. Number one, non-Christian books can describe the world, how it functions and how to subdue it. Number two, it highlights common life experiences. Number three, it can expose the human heart. Number four, non-Christian books can teach us wisdom and valuable moral lessons. Number five, it can capture beauty. Number six, it begs questions that can only be resolved in Christ. Number seven, it can echo spiritual truth and edify the soul. Reinke enlists the approval of John Calvin, Martin Luther, Leland Reinken, uh, Paul of Tarsus, and even the early church fathers, Basil of Caesarea and Augustine of Hippo, and of course, the Bible itself. What Reinker has done in this book is to produce a theology of books and reading. And, as a reader, I am ever so grateful for this. The most important takeaway from Reinker's book is we need a Christian worldview to know what to read, what not to read, and to flourish from our reading. Can a Christian read and enjoy a fantasy series like Wingfeather? I'm going to first make a broad argument, then I will make the narrow one. The broad argument is this. If you are convinced by Reinke's seven reasons for reading non-Christian books, as supported by John Calvin, Martin Luther, the early church fathers, and you agree with his interpretation of the Bible, and that your conscience is not violated when you read popular or read or watch popular culture books and movies, then you have slayed the dragon in the room by putting Winged Feather together with Marvel and DC comics and movies. Uh, this would make it kosher for Christians. The narrow argument is more complicated, and here I want to suggest that Winged Feather is more than Marvel, DC, or the rest of fantasy genre it should be considered Christian literature. But how can Wingfeather be a Christian book? There is no Christ in Wingfeather, and there is no allusion to a transcendent, all-powerful, all-good being that came down to earth and is walking alongside us. There is no Aslan. Without Christ, can anything be Christian? To me, it's like asking whether Abraham was a Christian. Well, no, because he didn't know Christ. But on the other hand, he was saved by Christ because his faith in God was counted as righteousness. And Abraham's saving faith is ultimately found in Christ. It is hard to make a case that Wingfeather or any work of fiction is Christian. But Wingfeather has a Christian theological core, unlike J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter or Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials. Peterson describes his story as epic like Lord of the Rings, witty like The Princess Bride, and truth-telling like The Chronicles of Narnia. 
Truth Telling with a capital T. I recommend Wing Feather because of what it reveals of God and His ways. The theological core is Christian. Janov and his family, for example, they pray. They pray to the Maker. But the Maker seems to be an absent God. There are no angels, no theophanies, no dreams and visions of God or from God. But the people pray to the Maker in a world occupied by evil fangs, where children are carried off in a black carriage and Janna's father, a good man, dies. And the people in Wing Feather tell stories of the Maker. There is a creation story. The first man was Dwayne, and the first woman was Gladys. The Maker is good, and the people trust in him, even when it seems really laughable, sorry, really laughable to do so. Jana has this wanderlust, a yearning to see the world beyond his tiny backward village. Without spoiling the book, a big part of Jana's journey is seeing his role in the bigger story. Just like how Christians are to see ourselves in God's bigger story. Haven't you heard? The book of Acts has not ended because we are still living in it. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. We show hospitality to angels without knowing it. But when the story of our life ends, we will know. In the meantime, we read Wingfeather and reflect on what that world there has to teach us of this world here. The first book, On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness, is the 2008 Christie Award nominee for Young Adult Fiction. The second book, North or Be Eaten, is the winner of the 2009 Christie Award for Young Adult Fiction. In Amazon, the four books have an average rating of 4.9 stars by 8,000 plus reviewers. Coincidentally, there are 8,000 plus angel investors who have raised $5 million to turn the story into a multi-season animation series. If you want to get a peek, you can watch the 15-minute animated short in YouTube or visit the website www.wingfeathersaga.com to watch the, the short flick. In in a message to parents, okay, Peterson in the website has a note to parents, and it begins like this, I quote, I have three kids, and they devour books like crazy people. They gobble them up like sugar cereal. When we come home from the library, each of them has five or ten books under each arm. At first, I try to keep up trying to preview every book they read, but these days, when my older zips through a Hardy Books boy in one afternoon, no way. So I wanted to let you know, in case you're wary of these books, I'm not one of those writers churning out stories for money or to push a political agenda. And I'm not writing fantasy just because I have a thing for swords and dragons. And I don't want to corrupt your kids with shady philosophy or trick them into practicing witchcraft. I don't want to expose them to words or situations I wouldn't want my own children exposed to. Here's why I'm writing these books. I bear the maker's image, and one of the ways that plays out is that I delight in making. End quote. 
To hear the rest of his note, because he does explain more, visit www.wingfeathersaga.com. That's www.wingfeathersaga.com. To hear more of Andrew Peterson's thoughts on making, you can read his full book, his autobiography, Adorning the Dark, Thoughts on Community, Calling and the Mystery of Making. Once you get to know the guy, I reckon you will let him enter your home. So, come on, give this uh, humble songwriter, musician, writer, and stone wall builder a chance. If I can't appeal to the creative part of you, then I'll appeal to the theological reasoning part of you. Read Tony Reinker's book, Lit, A Christian Guide to Reading Books. Part one of his book is titled, A Theology of Books and Reading. Just as every driver needs a driving license to know how to read the signs and to avoid you know, road uh, erosions and go the right way, I believe that every reader should read this book um, by Reinke to avoid bad books, to enjoy good books, even non-Christian books. You might not recognize his name, but you might recognize his voice. Tony Reinke is the host of the popular Ask Pastor John podcast. If I can't appeal to either the creative or the theological part of you, then my last resort, the big guns, is the anti-book or anti-book. The anti-book is a dangerous mind-bending weapon because it can backfire. Readers can become non-readers and non-readers can become readers. The most popular anti-book is YouTube. You can watch the 15-minute animated short. Just search Wingfeather in YouTube or watch it in the Wingfeather website, as I mentioned earlier. I say this because after watching a video, some went to read the books. Yay! <laughs> and if it's not obvious by now, <clears throat> I'm one of the 8,000 fans of the Wingfeather saga. After your kids read it, they will take care of their siblings, respect their elders, and do their homework gladly. And if they don't do any of that, there is a greater, not-so-obvious prize. They get a glimpse of the Maker, who will make this life, the life we all live in, brighter, not duller, and turn our eyes clearer, not dimmer. If you know someone who likes fantasy novels, I recommend this review. He might give Wingfeather a try. If you know someone who hates fantasy novels, recommend this review. She might give Wingfeather a try. And they might just end up seeing this world brighter, not duller. You have introduced a Christian love of story in their lives, as I hope I did today. This is a reading and reader's review of the four-book series, Sing Feather Waga by Peter Anderson. I mean, Wing Feather Saga by Andrew Peterson. If you like this children's book review, you might want to listen to my other children's book review, The Green Ember series by S.D. Smith. The Green Ember is, uh, is readable to five-year-olds, whereas Wing Feather is really for older children. And for more book reviews, uh, please go to www.readingandreaders.com. Until next time, keep reading.